This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 762. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 762. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, mamas, before we dig into this conversation, I just want to add a little kind of like a content warning on this episode. I'm going to be talking about my own mental health, and I just want you to know that everything I'm talking about in this episode is anecdotal. It's just me. It's my experience. This is definitely not medical recommendations that I'm making. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a licensed therapist or medical provider in any way. So If you are listening and you're struggling, please reach out for professional help. At the end of the episode, I talk about how to do that. But basically, like, call your doctor or, um, you know, ask. I've literally gone on Facebook and asked for therapist recommendations. So there's a lot of ways to do this. If you're feeling a lot of urgency or potentially you know, feeling like you're maybe in a mental health crisis, please, please, please dial 988 and they can connect you to resources that can support you most immediately. So again, I want you to listen to this episode today, just holding space for the fact that this is me, it's my story, and it's not me telling you or, you know, advising you on what you should do with your own mental health. So listen in, enjoy, take care of you, and thanks for being here. Hello, shameless moms. Happy Monday if you're listening in live time. It's also Memorial Day if you're listening in live time. So happy Memorial Day. Happy three-day weekend. 
because it's a holiday, if you, uh, I know many people will be listening after the fact, but it is also the end of May and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And in, in true Sarah fashion, <laughs> I like all month long have, spent, have thought like, oh, I should do something for mental health. And here we are. <laughs> I'm just getting it in there right under the wire. Mostly actually because I wanted to be able to give a personal update and I kind of needed to wait till I walked through some appointments to be able to give you the full update that I really wanted to give you. So May is Mental Health Awareness Month and I think it is so important that we honor this month. I don't care if you honor your mental health in May or another time annually, but like do an annual check-in, get annual support. I feel like it's important that you know, we get physicals every year, right? And you get to a certain age and you're getting mammograms and colonoscopies and dermatology checks and like all these other things. Your mental health is just as important. And for some folks, it's more important. For some folks, it's the stakes are higher with your mental health than your physical health. So I feel like it's really, really important to have this conversation, even if we're getting it in right under the wire, and that it's not just a May thing, it's like an ongoing thing. I also wanted to have this conversation because two years ago, and it was a little over two years ago, I think, when I first talked about this, but two years ago, I shared that I had been newly diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and PTSD. And at the time, I was 0% shocked <laughs> by my general anxiety diagnosis and 100% shocked by the PTSD no, uh, diagnosis. So what was really interesting about that season is I knew that I had anxiety. I knew I'd had it for a long time. I didn't fully recognize because I'd had it for so long and it's been so hugely present in my life since I was very, very young. I didn't realize how many things I did or like ways I kind of coped or masked or just like, I didn't realize how present anxiety was in my life until I started talking to a therapist about it. And so many of the things that I would share, she's like, well, that's the anxiety and that's the anxiety. And that's also the anxiety and that thing there, that's also the anxiety. And I was like, it's not all about the anxiety. She's like, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> so that was super eye-opening just in terms of like, I think that we have those things, you know, I talk about this all the time about when you have a newborn baby and you at a certain point, you don't recognize that you're tired anymore because you're just so used to being tired all the time. So same thing with stuff going on with your brain. Like if it's been a, the same way for a really long time, you become a little numb to it and you think it's normal and you're like, I don't know, it seems fine. Like it's the same as yesterday. And you don't realize sometimes that you are like managing in a way that is maybe more stressful than it needs to be or more complicated than it needs to be. And that was definitely my situation around anxiety. I also knew that it had come to a head and I was really tired of living with a huge sense of dread in my gut and a huge sense of urgency in my brain. And so at that time I started medication for general anxiety and the sense of dread in my gut completely went away. The sense of urgency in my brain also really dissipated. And that's continued to be the case with both of those things to mostly. I will say that some of the dread has snuck back in at times for sure. And the urgency isn't there. And when I say urgency, the urgency for me is feeling like you have 47 things that you need to do in the next hour and all of them are equally important. And this is like how I live my life for 45 years until I was diagnosed two years ago and having to be in this place where like there's 47 emergencies in your head like there's 47 things that need 150% of your attention and then having to pick the thing that goes first and that always feeling really stressful and feeling like just everything was like really high stakes what's happened over the last couple of years is that that sense of urgency around all the things has dissipated to a certain extent but what's been tricky is that 
<laughs> with the urgency having gone away to some extent, it feels like I don't now it's like everything just is down lower. So instead of everything being like top of mind and really important, everything's like, it's just fine. Get to it when you get to it. And it actually kind of helps to have some things feel urgent every once in a while. So I've actually found that like, I'm still struggling with prioritizing things, but now I'm just struggling with prioritizing things because like nothing seems urgent or like the only the things that seem urgent are the things I've recently forgotten or the things that are like due in five minutes. And that hasn't felt really great over time. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. So that's been something that I've been like increasingly kind of like, ah, it feels different than a couple of years ago, but I'm not sure it feels better. And this is all like side effects of being on medication. So the other piece was the PTSD. And when I first got that diagnosis, it felt weird. It didn't feel wrong. I wasn't quite able to wrap my head around like the circumstances that maybe led to this PTSD diagnosis. Recently, I've actually been able to see this in a really different way that feels way better to me. And I've been able to actually really clearly put my finger on what was the cause of my PTSD and what is the thing that has that really like spiraled me into a state of hypervigilance that I have lived in ever since then. And the thing that I originally thought it was, I think was not the thing. And I think it was something else that was actually a chronic thing instead. And in making those connections, by the way, through like talking to friends and therapy and actually a hypnotherapy session and like all sorts of different things, being able to connect those dots has been really helpful and also allowed me to see how being in a state where basically I kind of routinely felt really unsafe um, when I was really young has shown up in different ways in my life now and kind of what I do, how I respond when something feels unsafe and specifically when something feels emotionally unsafe. And that piece has been really significant and really interesting to kind of work through and unravel. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and it, I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless so that i've been able to much more clearly see About a year ago, I gave an update on my mental health. Um, It might have been in May. I didn't go back and check. It probably was in May for Mental Health Awareness Month. But it felt right at that time to give you all kind of a check-in on how things were going. I do think that the more we talk about mental health and normalize it, just like, hey, I got a physical. Hey, I got a mammogram. The more we normalize all of this and we normalize that all of us experience ups and downs. And the less stigma that we have around that, then the less stigma there is around being able to say, I'm struggling right now with my mental health. And the more people will feel safe and comfortable asking for help. And that piece is so, so, so important. It's so important to be able to have people in places where you can go to to be like, oh, I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. And I know a lot of people don't have that. And I know sometimes in our circle of friends or maybe in our you know, family of origin, those might not be our safe places to say like, hey, I'm really struggling. I think I might be struggling with depression or I'm feeling anxiety or maybe something else. Because sometimes there can be stigma around those things within are close circles. And so I want to be able to have this conversation so that you can have some perspective and guidance on where can you go to have conversations that can be supportive of your mental health and where can you feel supported as you give yourself permission to explore your mental health. So now we're two years out from my diagnosis and or a little over two years. And a lot has happened in the world and in my life in the last two years. And increasingly, it has felt like some of the things that have supported my mental health over the years and even decades for some of the things have been working less and I have my coping skills. I have my workouts and I have like my ways of taking notes and keeping lists and like all these things, but it seemed like they were just working less. Like they were still very necessary, but they didn't seem to be as supportive as they once were. The other thing that was happening 
as a, I think, side effect of just what's been happening in the world for so many years now, of over the, since 2020, is I found myself feeling less hopeful. And I didn't necessarily feel hopeless, but I felt less hopeful, which was unusual for me. I know a lot of this is because I have so many people around me who are walking through really traumatic circumstances. And some of them are traumatic circumstances that are just like, not, I don't mean to use the word just, but that are a one-time trauma, like a really traumatic event happened. And then other people are walking through trauma that is chronic ongoing trauma, and there's not like an end in sight. And so being close to people who are going through those things and just having a lot of people, like a lot of people close to me, literally like most of the people closest to me walking through circumstances like that has been really complicated to carry. And I'm so grateful for those friendships and relationships and family members. And I am so honored to be walking beside them. And also, it's been interesting how it has weighed on me. Because it's when you see everyone around you suffering, you're just like, the world is a really horrible, awful place. (laughs) There's just so many people that don't have the resources that they need, that don't have access to what they need access to, that don't feel supported in different capacities. And that just is a really hard place to be. It makes me feel helpless in a lot of ways. And that was really impacting my ability to feel hopeful. So as all this was kind of happening, I was also doing a lot of research on women in ADHD. This actually started kind of along around the time that I got my anxiety and PTSD diagnosis. I started doing some research on this. And at first I was like, I don't think this is me. I'm not really sure. But then over time, I became almost certain that I was dealing with some undiagnosed ADHD. And I was increasingly confused where my anxiety ended and where possible ADHD began. Or maybe they're one and the same. And this is something that my therapist talked with me about a couple of years ago. She's like, they often go hand in hand, anxiety and ADHD. And when I went to my psychiatrist at the time and tried to talk to him about it, he really shut me down. And I'm going to talk about this because I think this is really important. He shut me down and he told me because I got really good grades growing up and I wasn't a kid who struggled to be organized that I did not have ADHD because if you to be diagnosed with ADHD, you have to have it has to be rooted in your childhood. It has to be like you were the kid with the messy desk, the kids that couldn't stay on task, the kid that, you know, was falling behind in subjects. By the way, all of these things are untrue. He was very much giving me this model that like, if you're going to be diagnosed with ADHD, you have to look like the typical like 10 year old boy in your class that couldn't stay on task. And he's like, that wasn't you. You had, you know, a flawlessly organized desk and backpack. And you did all of your homework ahead of time and did all the extra credit and did that for like your entire school career. So that's not you. We argued about this in multiple sessions. And I was like, I just think that we're kind of missing something. And I think it might be this ADHD thing. And he finally said to me at one point, he said, okay, well, let me ask you this. Did you ever struggle with reading comprehension? And I said, yes, I did. In fact, that was the only thing I struggled with in school. And I was the kid and I still am the person that if I am not like hyper-focused and really obsessed with the content that I'm reading and like really personally or professionally interested in something, I will have to read the same paragraph 17 times and like highlight it and take notes on it in order to remember it. And this was really challenging for me in school. This was the biggest challenge for me in school. And it was a huge challenge for me in college. And I remember calling my mom in tears in my the beginning of my freshman year one night because we had 42 pages of reading in this big, huge history book. And I was like, mom, there's no way I can read 42 pages in one night and take notes on it and remember any of it. Because for me to read 42 pages and order be able to talk about it in class the next day was going to take hours and hours and hours because of the process that I needed to go through in order to be able to internalize 
history that was really not that interesting to me. And it was Western civilization, if I recall. And I remember this book being like 30 pounds with like this blue and gold cover. Um, so I remember crying to her and her being like, you know, you've always been able to do this. And then I remember another friend of a uh, room, uh, someone who lived in my dorm, she was just like, I don't really think you have to read all 42 pages. And I was like, the horror, right? I'm like, um, have you met me? Like, I'm going to read all 42 pages, but it will take me all night. And so when I talked to the psychiatrist about that, he was like, okay, that's actually a telltale sign. If you struggled with reading comprehension, that can be a high, there's a high correlation between that and ADHD. So when, he, when we finally got to this point in this conversation, this doctor was about to retire. We'd been working together for like a year. I was so frustrated with him. He was more anxious than I was. I constantly joked to my husband and other people like this guy was a basket case and nice enough guy, but kind of a basket case. Also, as a side note, he had a cell phone that would go off during our sessions and the cell phone had like a Chewbacca like roar now noise to it. And it was very loud and we'd be on Zoom and I could just hear this random roaring like very frequently during our sessions. And every time it happened, I would like look around like, am I, is there a hidden camera somewhere right now? <laughs> It is so weird to me that this is happening. The other thing is that he always, always had stacks and stacks of like file uh, papers and folders and files behind him. Like he hadn't cleaned out his office in like 30 years. And it was very strange. But anyway, so he says to me, if you want to come off the anxiety medication, we can do a trial on ADHD medication if that's what you want to do. But he was about to retire. I didn't have another doctor lined up. And I was like, well, the anxiety medication is working. I don't really want to mess with that. We had kind of just found the right balance for that. So I was like, I'm just going to stick with the plan. I'm going to keep going with what I'm doing. Like it's worked up to this point. I've been fine for 45 years. Like I can figure this out. And then it became harder. <laughs> and so since then, that was, you know, over a little over a year ago, probably, I just started to feel so ridiculously tired. And this wasn't like I need to take a nap tired. It was more like my mind has been on overdrive 47 years, and it might crash and burn at any time kind of tired. I've increasingly struggled with prioritizing tasks, as I kind of talked about earlier. So I have to like constantly look at a list of things to do and then really thoughtfully be like, okay, which one's the most important, rather than just like, knowing on any given day, like, here's the things that are important today. I also have started to forget a lot of random things that I would normally never forget. And I've become increasingly just really, really worse off with time management. And so as all of that's been happening, I have kind of just been like, okay, like, it's fine, keep going. But I kind of hit a wall over the last couple months. And I was just like, I don't think I want to keep doing this this way. I don't think this is working. I mostly don't think this is sustainable. And I also was starting to get worried that it was going to like, I was going to miss a deadline or I was going to like let down a client or something or like, you know, make my family more crazy. I've already made them with some of my very erratic behavior and that allows me to like manage my life. So I was still able to show up during this time, like really performing well and being my kind of usual overperformer self in terms of work and deadlines and working with clients and all that. But I did have this overwhelming sense that I just didn't feel like this level was sustainable anymore. And so I reached out, I got a recommendation to a practice to get assessed for ADHD. So I went in and did that a couple weeks ago. And I swear to God, like, I don't know if it's just me, like if it's the universe just wanting to laugh in my face. But, you know, I had this super weird psychiatrist experience with the guy who diagnosed me with anxiety, the Chewbacca phone paper piles guy. 
We actually went to a therapy practice to get some support for Vinny during the pandemic and had a super weird experience with that doctor trying to like do some like real weird diagnostic stuff that I was like, this is so strange. And like, yeah, it just made very like outlandish recommendations. And then I go to do (laughs) this ADHD assessment with this doctor and it was so weird. And so I will like, I'm not going to bury the lead. Like the long and the short of it is, yes, I have ADHD, but it was so like pulling teeth to get this doctor to like tell me that in the first appointment. So I meet with her for the first appointment. First of all, getting the paperwork submitted was like this logistical nightmare. I was on the phone in tears for hours trying to just get paperwork submitted. So I was like, maybe this clinic that like works with people with anxiety and depression and ADHD should have a better process because... The anxious person with ADHD that can't get their forms filled out. And it's taken like three phone calls and like all these attempts. It it was a nightmare. So that was like the first thing where I was like, I am being punked right now. Like, why is this so hard? And then I meet with the doctor finally. It's supposed to be an hour long session. And like 20 minutes into the session, she's like, okay, well, I have this information and that information. So the next appointment, we'll talk about medication. And I'm like, okay, well, she goes, the next appointment will be much shorter, only 30 minutes, and we'll talk about medication. And I'm looking and I'm like, we've only been in here for 20 minutes and this is supposed to be an hour long appointment. And so I'm like, okay, well, I have some questions. And I said, can you like, based on what we've talked about, what are your, like, what's your assessment? Do you think I have ADHD? Do you think this is anxiety? And she's like, well, you know, I think there's some anxiety or I think there's definitely anxiety going on, but I think there's also some ADHD. And I was like, okay, so what are your thoughts on like, I know you don't prescribe medication until the second appointment, but are you thinking like, should I start to come off of my anxiety medication? She's like, oh, we're not going to talk about that till the second appointment. I'm like, okay. I said, well, are you, do you think you'll recommend going on something new? I'm like, I just want to know what to prepare for. And she's like, mm, well, we're not going to talk about that till the second appointment. And I was like, okay. So then I said, so, you know, commonly, I know that there's these kinds of routes with medication and ADHD for adults. Are you like leaning one more toward one or the other? Because I've heard this about some and this about others. And I kind of have a preference based on what I've heard. What do you think? And she's like, well, she gave me like a little bit of information, but she's like, but we're not really going to talk about that more till the next appointment. So I was like, why? What is with all this, like withholding this information? I'm not a drug seeker. I am not asking for a prescription today. I'm not asking for like a high dose of anything down the road. Like I am just have some questions that seem very reasonable to answer in a first appointment. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for 
understood explains and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now. So then she did ask me or I did say, you know, I did come with a list prepared of reasons that I think I have ADHD. And <laughs> I'm going to share some of the list with you, my dear listeners, because I think it will be helpful to you. But when we met for our second appointment, she was really funny because she said, we're going to talk about medication for your ADHD, but I don't want you to come off medication for anxiety because it's really clear that anxiety is still really present for you. And <laughs> I thought, I wonder why she's saying that, like what leads her to, the, to that assessment? Because in my mind, I did not show up to that first appointment super anxious, nor did I express feeling like a ton of anxiety. So I'm like, okay, there's something that from our interaction where she's like feeling this, she's reading between the lines. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's because I did come to that first appointment with like, here's my list of 18 reasons that I think I have ADHD. And I read her the whole list with lots of detail. So maybe that was it. I don't know. But I want to share this list because these are some things that I have been collecting this data over the last couple of years around like, what does ADHD look like in women, especially middle-aged women, especially because a 47-year-old woman does not look like a 10-year-old boy in a fourth grade classroom with ADHD. And I've read so much about this and I've talked to so many people that are in similar situations. And I think it's really, really important, not because I think every woman needs to go out and get diagnosed with ADHD but because I think it's really important that we just understand how our brains work. I also have to give a shout out to my friend and colleague, Emma, who specifically does coaching and working with people with ADHD. And she and I actually got on a call last week and we were talking about some of these things and she helped me see some things in a new way, which was really helpful. And she talked about instead of symptoms of ADHD, she prefers to call them traits. So these are some of my traits and recognizing that these are connected to ADHD, whether or not a person decides to go get therapy or see a psychiatrist or be medicated, I think it's just helpful to know that your brain is operating in a certain way that influences how you integrate things in the world, how you show up in the world, and how you're able to you know, perform in your relationships and in your workplace and all those things in the world. So without further ado, here are some of the things that I have noticed in my life that are all consistent traits for women with ADHD. So intrusive thoughts and rumination, especially this is a big one for me that I found common in other people after social events, replaying things in your head, replaying conversations and wondering, oh, did I say the right thing? Or did they take that the wrong way? Or maybe I should send a text and clarify, or maybe do I need to apologize? Or did this thing offend that person? So lots of rumination about that, which makes going to social events and then coming home and going to bed virtually impossible. Hard time finishing tasks. So I'm really good at starting things. Definitely a hard time finishing things, although I'm really good at meeting deadlines. So there's a difference between those two things. Disorganized office and workspace, but ever, like I present very organized. If you see me on Zoom, I'm very organized. If you see me show up to something, I generally present very organized, but I have a lot of paper piles. My husband and I really struggled with this early in our relationship because I needed paper piles everywhere because I was worried if I couldn't see things, I was worried I would forget about them. And that's a huge ADHD trait. Interrupting or talking over other people, I'm 
very conscientious. As people are talking, I am always immediately thinking of what I want to say next. And I'm having to remind myself, like, sit and wait your turn. And you can even see my mouth start to move sometimes as I go to respond before someone's done. And I've been started to see that in other people as well. And notice that as a trait of someone who potentially has ADHD. Long, detailed, and often derailed storytelling which is a great gift for a podcaster, by the way. Some of these things can be very beneficial. Hyper-focus, but not where hyper-focus should be in any given moment. So for example, uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday the 24th. Tina Turner died today. RIP Tina Turner. She was absolutely 100% simply the best. When things like that happen, it's very easy for me to go down a rabbit hole reading about Tina Turner's entire life for hours and hours and hours. Hyper-focus, but not on the thing I actually need to be focusing on for the day dissociation. And what I mean by that is being able to sit in one environment and completely mentally dissociate. So I started doing this when I was really little, we would go to church, and I would walk in, sit down, and literally my brain would leave the room. Church would be over, we would walk out, and my mom could have asked me any question about what happened in church, and I would not be able to tell her. I literally would not hear a single word that was said. I would write stories in my head, I would think about other things, I would actually walk into church with a list of things like, here's what I'm going to think about today, because I was very disinterested in the church content. I do this now watching movies with Vinny. I don't actually internalize the movie and I often don't remember any of it because I often don't actually see some of, a lot of it because I'm busy like writing emails for work in my head. <clears throat> Time management, always running five minutes late. Always, always, always running five minutes late. I really try to be five minutes early and I'm never, ever, ever, ever five minutes early unless I have to go somewhere that I don't know the directions to and I have to find parking <laughs> and then I might be three minutes early. <laughs> Reading comprehension, as I mentioned, procrastination, feeling of dread, hard time prioritizing things, indecision. So decision making is very exhausting to me and tiny decisions are really exhausting for me. So deciding like what's going to be for dinner or deciding when am I going to schedule an appointment? Those micro decisions of which there are 1 million a day when you are a family manager and a parent, those are really hard for me. A hard time waiting when you don't know what how long something's going to go. So waiting in line, for example, or like being at a concert and not knowing when it's going to be over, unless it's like your very favorite musician, being in a movie theater and not knowing how long the movie is. Like for me, being in a place and not knowing how long something is going to be is torturous. Even if I'm something I'm enjoying, I get very panicky about the time, about like how long is it going to go? And are some people talking too long? And is someone keeping an eye on this? And like, who's in charge? <laughs> just a lot, a lot around that. And then there was one other that I don't, oh, what was the other one? Because there's something else on here. I didn't read the whole list, but those were like my big ones. I feel like there was another one and now I don't remember what it was that I was going to add on here this morning. It might come to me as we're talking. So some of those might be relevant to you. And I'm just sharing them again, not because I think everyone needs to run out and get diagnosed, but because if this is a way for you to see yourself, I just hope that it's helpful. So with that said, I today took my first dose of medication for ADHD. I sent a message to my friend Emma right afterwards or like two hours later. And I was like, oh my God, I just wrote three paragraphs uninterrupted without losing focus. I'm pretty sure it's working. And the joke is that like the medication I'm taking isn't really supposed to work for like six to eight weeks. But I'm like placebo effect. Like I took it three hours ago and I'm cured. So that's where I'm at right now. I am hoping that I can continue on this journey and be able to, if we're able to assess that ADHD is the more prominent thing for me, and that might be the cause of anxiety, then I'm hoping I can come off of my medica anxiety medication or at least reduce it. But right now we're in this place of like, we're going to do one thing at a time. And 
I will keep you posted. It might not be like another year till I do an update like this because I don't necessarily feel like I need to talk about my own mental health all the time. But I do want you to know that you can always feel free to reach out to me. And some of you have done that. Some of you have reached out to be like, hey, like, what's your medication? I intentionally am not mentioning medication that I'm taking on the podcast because what works for me is so different than what might work for someone else. And it just feels really irresponsible for me to be like, hey, here's what I'm doing and go try it or talk to your doctor about it. You should go talk to your doctor. And with that said, this whole episode, which I probably should have said at the top, I'll go add another a little mention at the top of the episode. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a mental health professional. This is all my experience. This is only my experience. I've done a lot of learning around this, but this is, I am not an expert in any of this. Everything I've said today is anecdotal. If you are struggling with your mental health, I want you to call your primary care doctor and ask for help or call your therapist or psychiatrist if you have one. If you're in Washington or in Oregon, you can reach out to Mindful Therapy. They will be able to get you in within a week. If you do not have a medical professional that you can reach out to, please dial 988 and they can help you find someone. That's 988. Our mental health is really, really important. If something feels off, you are probably right. I want you to recognize that you've been conditioned to ignore a lot of things because we're women or just deal with things because again, we're women. But if something feels off, you're probably right. Or you might not recognize that it's a big deal because you're just so used to it. So if something feels off, trust your gut listen and go ask for help. Mental health is just like your physical health. It should be checked in on regularly as you evolve in age, especially as you go into perimenopause if you're around my age, and also as the world evolves around you. And lastly, there might be stigmas in the circles that you're in, but there are plenty of spaces where there is not stigma around mental health. Go find those places where you fit in safely. This is one of those places, and I'm so honored to be in this with you always. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.